Subprime is a word indelibly linked to the financial crisis, but for the 10 million people who are unable to access mainstream finance, perhaps due to a poor or limited credit history, the subprime credit market provides an important function. The sector is still recovering from the last crash and now faces a tougher regulator in the form of the Financial Conduct Authority. Enter non-standard finance, which listed two years ago with a strategy to buy and build subprime lending businesses. Its founder and chief executive, John Van Kuffler, joins me now. Welcome, John. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about this business that you've built. Well, when I um, retired from Provident Financial, I was age 65, um, but I felt that there was an enormous opportunity in the market, and I'd always said that I was never going to retire. So the combination of those two things meant that I sat down and thought, let's form a new company that can be a really major player in this sector. And so I went out and raised £103 million. And we said at the time of IPO, having assembled a number of former my colleagues and brought them onto the board, um, I said that uh, what we would do was to concentrate on three initial sectors in the subprime uh, non-standard lending area. And those three areas were home credit, which I know and understand well, having had 25 years in the sector. That's credit provided via doorstep agents. That, that's right. That is provided by self-employed agents um, who lend and collect door-to-door and therefore visit the customers in their own home and provide a very high level of service. The second area was branch-based lending, and that is we don't visit the customer in their own home, um, but the customer comes into the branch for an in-depth interview before we decide whether we're going to lend to them or not. And the third area um, was guaranteed loans, where somebody has a poor credit rating or a very thin one, um, generally younger people who may have just come out of school or college, and uh, they need, in order to get the necessary credit facilities, uh, either parental, family or friend, to provide a guarantee. And in fact, we have achieved all three of those in the last two years. We have significant businesses in each of those areas. Um, In the largest, which is everyday loans, which is the branch-based lending, we are the number one in the market lending to the subprime sector. Um, Secondly, in uh, the home credit sector, we are the number three in the market. And in uh, Trust 2, our guaranteed loan business, we are rapidly moving into the number two in the market slot. Um, So we have achieved everything that we set out uh, in our prospectus at the time of the IPO. And this is um, a sector that you still saw at IPO as recovering from the financial crisis. Tell me about the market opportunity that you saw. Uh, Yes, that's undoubtedly so, that uh, during the time of the uh, financial crisis, many withdrew from this area. If, for instance, you take branch-based lending, um, there uh, there were quite a number of large uh, providers of credit through the branch system. There was um, City Financial, Household Beneficial, Welcome, and so on, all of which have completely disappeared. Their branch networks just don't exist anymore. Largely, this was because their um, head offices, so, for instance, HSBC owned one, Citibank owned another, um, and so on. 
on, uh, said, we really just want to be out of subprime. It's got us a bad name. We don't care how well or badly the business is going. Just shut the branch network down and collect in the loans. This left a void in the market. From our research, we saw that in 2008, there was about 5.3 billion of outstandings. Um, that is loans to customers. And that's now down to 300 million. So that gives you some idea that there is a void in the market which was created um, during the financial crisis. Um, we are now there filling that void and gives us a terrific market opportunity. And is there another void now being created? I mean, three um, years ago, FCA intervened in the payday loan market, the shorter term, higher interest uh, market um, with price caps um, and making it so that consumers would never have to repay more than double the original loan. And that has had a big shrinking effect on the market. I note that through one of your lenders, you're looking to move down um, the duration scale to um, lend for, uh, for to lend for a shorter time than 24 months. Is that an opportunity for non-standard finance to to move into the shorter end as well? Well, what I first should say is that we um, are not going to get into payday lending. Um, that is an area which uh, we're not remotely interested in. Um, and But yes, you're quite right that the um, FCA did uh, crack down on uh, the payday lenders and the few remaining companies are actually struggling with the original model. Um, that does create a bit of an opportunity to lend at the um, shorter term and therefore we um, have applied to um, the FCA for a short-term credit license, we, which we expect to get very shortly. And that will be via the branch network? That will be via the branch network, that's right. Why is the branch network so crucial, that face-to-face -face communication? Um, well, it is really very important indeed, because you first of all establish the income and expenditure and whether they are um, able to make the payments on the loan that they've applied for. But equally importantly, is the propensity to pay or the willingness to pay. And by bringing somebody into a branch and going through um, the detail with them quite extensively, um, we are able to establish that much more clearly than online. Let me give the example, for instance, of uh, a debt consolidation. Um, we don't do it large scale, but it might be for £5,000 worth of debts. And if you have that, you really need to sit down with the customer and go through all the paperwork, each loan individually. And what we then do is to actually pay off each of those loans which they've got directly. Um, and you know, the danger is that if you simply do an online loan in those circumstances, you really don't know what the detail of the outstanding debts are that they've got and also um, making the repayments directly to the original lender are much more difficult. Um, so uh, let me also say that our experienced branch managers can tell literally within the first minute of uh, a potential customer coming in whether they're likely to be a good repayer simply from body language and so on. Okay, that regulator, the FCA, moving into the, the payday loan market, which as you say, you don't operate in, but having a big market intervention there, and then the opportunity that you've talked about, perhaps um, in terms of shorter term lending, there's also a risk there with the regulator. Currently, the FCA is considering whether to extend that payday loan crackdown to other higher cost loan products, such as instalment lending. How concerned are you about um, a further regulatory intervention into your areas of business? Yeah. <laughs> 
well, not terribly, and let me explain why. Um, what um, the FCA is doing is just simply good practice in lending. And if you look back 25 years ago, 100 years ago even, 300 years ago, you know, what is good lending? Good lending is meeting the customer, knowing and understanding their income and expenditure, establishing what their real need is, and then giving them the loan product that meets uh, A, their ability to repay, and B, their needs, and not selling them additional things like insurance or service or anything else. Just keep it very simple, make it absolutely clear what the repayments are. And in the few cases where um, the customer actually has a problem making the repayments, um, you need to sit down with them and work out something that works for both of you and the repayments are made. Now, that was good lending 300 years ago, 100 years ago, 25 years ago. It's still good lending. Basically, that's all the FCA is saying, uh, saying, you know, do income and expenditure, get to know your customer, have clarity over the product. And if they get into trouble, um, show forbearance. So that's why we don't feel that um, the FCA um, is creating problems for us, because this is the way we run all of our businesses. Sure. Consumer rights groups such as Citizens Advice has called for a limit on the number of times a home credit loan could be refinanced. There are interventions into the market that would have an impact on profitability, would you agree? But do you just see them as very low likelihood that they would bring in caps or limits that would affect your business? Uh Yes, I think I would say that um, it's highly unlikely there would be caps or regulations which would seriously affect our business. Um, I think, you know, what you do have to see is that it's very important that the customer's needs are met. And, you know, uh, it's not untypical for a home credit customer to borrow once or twice or three times a year. Uh, let me give the example. They will probably borrow in September time where if they've got three children who are going back to school, they need shoes, a new winter coat and so on. And if they have a low income, they're clearly not able to borrow that. And then again, when Christmas comes along, they probably want to borrow £500 for presents for the turkey and so on. Again, totally reasonable and very affordable out of their income, providing it's made through um, weekly repayments. Um, and then there may be something for you know the annual holiday a week away um, and so on. So a customer borrowing three times a year is not a bad thing um, and you know just meets their needs and smooths out the bumps and so on in their um, expenditure and that's why I feel that uh, uh, there's unlikely to be something coming from the FCA who is really getting to know the industry and understand it um, and therefore I don't anticipate that anything will occur which will really hurt our, our company. Do you think they might look at some of the sharper practices in the industry? Again, Citizens Advice have talked about debt collection methods where agents have used intimidation intimidating behaviour or have harassed vulnerable people or for guarantor loans, problems where the guarantors in those loans uh, have been unaware of the financial impact it was going to have on them. Do you think that they might just be looking at the areas of the market where there's some unacceptable practices? Well, I think that um, as far as the FCA is concerned, uh, clearly they are concerned that there aren't unacceptable practices. All those things you have mentioned are already against uh, the FCA regulation. So it's a question who's keeping to them. And if some are not, then clearly their license needs to be taken away. And I 
thoroughly encourage the FCA to follow that line. As far as we're concerned, we very much keep to them. And so it will not cause us a problem. In terms of how the wider sector is changing, you mentioned Provident Financial, where you used to work. That is refocusing away from doorstep lending. And you put out a comment on the stock exchange about this earlier this year, moving its agents from being self-employed to full-time employed, but also refocusing its business on its online product and also its subprime credit card. How would you argue that will impact on you, the largest lender uh, shifting in that way? Well, first of all, I would say it's a huge advantage to us and uh, Provident reducing the number of customers um, is an advantage to us. Um, It creates a market void again um, and uh, allows us to fill it. And so it's broadly uh, a very positive thing for us. Um, Having said that, I can quite see why Provident uh, are carrying out their current strategy. Um, And indeed, uh, if you look at it, they have Vanquist, which is growing reasonably well and money barn and they have a home credit business which they can't grow because they're the largest in the market and it's a mature market Uh, so you can understand why they're concentrating on the other two which is fine Um, but that leaves the opportunity there for us to take some of their market share on that staying on that home credit side how do you make sure that you're attracting the right kind of agents that are going to deliver to you the right kinds of business what are you learning there Well, what we have learned there is uh, that it's very important to take experienced agents rather than training up new ones. Um, And so we have a policy of taking on uh, very experienced agents um, and then concentrate them in areas where there are uh, lots of uh, home credit customers and um, offer them our services. And uh, that generally means that we grow our business quite uh, strongly on the back of that so in terms of that growth i'm interested in the price of that uh, growth agent commission costs were material at the full year mark and also i saw that impairments at that point were up slightly as a proportion of revenue what are you learning about the cost of that growth and how it impacts on your key financial indicators well i put it a a slightly different way which is uh, when you acquire a business um, you uh, have to find out over the first year or so exactly what you bought how it works um, and then to adapt it to the new way in which we want to run it that's exactly what we were doing with our loans at home business um, last year Um, costs come with that so we had a much larger management team which we brought in in place of the existing one uh, at the time of acquisition Um, we also uh, experimented with a number of different ways to bring these new customers on board which resulted in higher impairment but allowed us to find the most effective way of doing it which I've just described which is um, through having very experienced agents Uh, concentrated in areas where um, there is a good uh, home credit customer base. Um, And um, uh, so we we had costs of impairment and also the costs of taking on new agents. We took on 250 new agents, uh, which compared to just over 500. So that was a sort of 40% plus growth in agents. So we saw extremely good growth. Um, But of course, uh, in your first year, when you make all the changes, that costs a bit. And it did in terms of management it did in terms of impairment um, and uh, it did in terms of agent support costs but you know that's all part of changing the model to a growth-based one and so we were very happy
happy with the outcome because we now have a business which is firing on all cylinders exactly when one of the market participants is beginning to shrink even further. Do you think those early costs were a reason why you've seen some share price weakness since uh, IPO? The the um, share price fell in 2015, it fell another third in 2016. It's always tough to ask a chief executive about uh, the animal spirits of the market, but I'd like to get your sense on uh, where you think some of the negative sentiment has come from. Uh, I think it's come from a number of different sources. One is that uh, we initially raised the 103 million, um, and that included most of the participants or would-be participants who uh, wanted to invest in us. Secondly, um, we did in December, um, so that was 10 months afterwards, um, 180 million equity placing, um, and that meant that everyone who wanted shares in non-standard finance got their full allocation. Um, So it meant there was a little bit of indigestion as a result of the two uh, acquisitions which we made in um, fairly short order uh, after the IPO. Um, So uh, that meant that if there were a few sellers and there were a couple of structural ones, one was a pension fund which uh, uh, declared publicly that they were going for cash as opposed to equities and therefore were selling shares across the board, We had quite a number of private wealth managers. And of course, when an individual has a portfolio and say that person dies, the portfolio gets totally liquidated regardless of whether it's a good share or not. So you saw some of that drifting into the market, which pushed the price down a bit. And I do think that that was the principal reason. Uh, But I also think that um, the slightly lower profit performance from loans at home uh, was one which um, the market sort of worried unnecessarily about but you know um, a lot of investors worry so I quite understand no, definitely where what's your argument for growth now you've got a fair amount um, of these costs working through as you say some of them are more one-off or, or early investment costs what is your um, argument for the, the shareholder investment case right as it stands now well the investment case as it stands you have to look at each of our three businesses but they add up to a picture of strong growth in uh, both the business and in profitability and I'll just go through each of those three in turn. So the largest business, which is Everyday Loans, uh, the branch-based lending business, there we have accelerated the program of branch openings. And so when we acquired the business, we had 36 branches. We opened five in the eight and a half months in which we owned the business in 2016. Um, So that was quite a serious step. And then this year, we have announced that in 2017, we will open 12 new branches. Um, Now, the profitability of that business is increasing quite sharply. Um, So the cost of the 12 new branches is producing a drag or a reduction from what it otherwise would have been of about 1 million in um, EBIT. But that's completely acceptable um, because what we're doing is investing for profits to come through in 2018. But if you look at all the analyst estimates, the uh, outlook for everyday loans is um, 
really extremely good in 2017, even taking that into account, because it is a genuine growth story filling that 5 billion gap, which I referred to um, earlier on um, in this interview. Um, Then we go on to loans at home. There, we've spent all the money. uh, And what we've actually achieved in that time is a business which is now firing on all cylinders. And we have actually got this great market opportunity from the slightly further withdrawal that we're seeing from um, Provident Financial, the largest player in the market. Then finally, we go to Trust2, the guaranteed uh, loan uh, provider. And um, with that, uh, the market leader is an extremely large company called Amigo, which has a very large market share. Um, But we are moving into the number two position there. And we're strongly supported by the broker community, um, uh, that is financial brokers, bringing customers to us, because at the moment, they're really dependent upon one um, provider, which is Amigo, and they'd quite like to have a second one in there as well. Um, So we're really seeing a considerable rise in that business. And, you know, this again was a void left by um, the financial crisis, the mainstream banks all withdrew from providing uh, guaranteed loans of this sort of type. And, um, you know, the market is just there for the taking. So we expect to see extremely strong growth there as well. So in all three, we've each one slightly different has got uh, terrific growth prospects. And, you know, that's reflected in all the analyst notes for um, 2017. Okay, and how much will you be stressing the income argument around uh, passing back excess capital to shareholders? Uh, is that going to be a focus over the short term, or is it, is it a more a medium term? Uh, no, what I would say is, um, no, we've raised two hundred eighty-three million in equity capital. We have about. Uh, 120 million of uh, debt facilities, and that's sufficient to uh, meet all our growth plans. Um, over the next uh, year or two and puts us in a very good position. Um, so uh, I don't think that we will be returning capital, but you know, who knows, um, particularly as we are a company which uh, has ambitions and quite uh, right, the right sort of ambitions to grow larger in this sector. And when you look at our board of directors with all the experience we've got, you would expect us to end up being a much larger company in the medium term. Okay, and just finally, I'd like to get your sense of how the economic uh, headwinds or tailwinds might impact on your business. Obviously, you're less directly exposed to interest rates than a traditional bank um, in terms of affordability of mortgages um, because your customers typically don't have mortgages. Um, But you are nevertheless subject to the economic strength and the jobs market. Um, So what's your um, considerations for 2017 in terms of what a rising interest rate, uh, lower growth environment might mean for your various businesses? Well, the one thing which I think is very important is that when you look at income uh, over the last two years, that is 2015 and 2016, the statistics from ONS show that the 20 or 25 percent lowest uh, income uh, area, um, that that part of the population has actually seen a 9.4 percent increase in its incomes over those two years. So, 
our customer base is actually quite well positioned when you bear in mind that inflation this year is forecast to be 3%, uh, even if it's rather more than that. You know, they have had uh, uh, higher incomes um, than the population as a whole. Um, and we're also seeing that the minimum wage uh, increase coming through is likely to mean that for a reasonable part of our customer base, that might mean 7.5% more this year. And they've also been under-borrowed, and that is because of the void in the market that you were referring to earlier. Um, So the combination of having lower borrowings um, as a percentage of income than the rest of the population um, and having higher income increases means that... um, our customer base is actually reasonably well-placed. That leaves us with um, unemployment. I mean, at the moment, there has never been such high unemployment in the UK, and unemployment is its lowest since um, 2005. So again, we're in quite a good position, um, despite the sort of uh, gloom around Brexit. Um, We haven't seen that. If we do start to see it, We're also in a good position because all our lending is really very short term and we can adjust the scorecard um, accordingly. Thanks for joining me, John. Thank you. For more analysis of non-standard finance, you can go to our website, investorschronicle.co.uk. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 